I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On this podcast, we sit down with leaders of all types to explore examples of real leadership and the qualities of all great problem solvers. I think we get really confused about what leadership is. On By Example, we lift up the real leaders, people who are focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving real problems that are right in front of them. Leading by example. I mean, I could have never predicted any of this. So, good well, place to start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, exactly. I could have never predicted how this would ever flush out in the way that it has. Well, that's why it took real courage, because you didn't know where it would well, end. Well, that's that very true, yeah. If you knew, anybody would. Anybody would do it. I first got to know Gretchen Carlson maybe the same way you got to know her. She was a television anchor. And I got to know her because she was interviewing me on Fox News. Today, I talk with her as a former television anchor and a current activist. Gretchen Carlson took one brave leap. She actually talks about it as feeling like jumping off a cliff (laughs) into the abyss. But she had the courage to be one of the very first women to publicly accuse her workplace harasser. And in that way, she launched, in so many ways, the Me Too movement. As you listen to Gretchen, think about the status quo that she was up against. All leaders, all problem solvers realize at some point that they cannot lead and they cannot solve a problem unless they're prepared to challenge the status quo. Think about the status quo that she was up against, a toxic work culture one of the most powerful men in all of media, in fact, in all the world. And Gretchen Carlson had the courage to challenge all of that. Hello, and welcome to By Example. I'm Casey Enders, CEO of Carly's nonprofit, Unlocking Potential, and I'm joined by my co-host and Unlocking Potential's managing director, Jeffrey Richardson. Hello, Casey. How are you doing today, Jeffrey? I'm doing good. Good to be here with you. Good to be here with you. And I'm really excited about today's topic. So we're diving into one of the more controversial topics, I would say, of kind of our time and age, and that's the Me Too movement. Yes, yes, yes. Big topic of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what's hard to remember is that the Me Too movement isn't all that old. No, no, I think, you know, with all the headlines, it's somebody new every day. It's something new every day. I feel at least we've been living in this age for a long time, but the reality is It wasn't all that long ago that the first set of really brave, courageous women stood up and said, me too. And I think one of the amazing stories that you'll hear today, the primary story that you'll hear today is from Gretchen Carlson, who was one of the first people to stand up and say, I've been not only a victim of sexual harassment, but actually to say I've been a victim of sexual assault in an incredibly public way um, on a really, really public platform. Yes. I mean, to think about not only the individual, but the institution in which um, essentially, you know, she had to go up against um, to be able to tell, you know, her story um, and share her truth. Um, and, then, and in such a public way, right? Such a huge, um, you know, public response. I mean, wow, I can't imagine. Yeah. And I think, 
you know, for those of you that don't know, Gretchen is and was an incredibly personable, affable television host on the Fox network. So she was the host of Fox and Friends and The Real Story with Gretchen Carlson and was actually on the Fox News Network from 2005 to 2016. Um, But that's not her whole story. She's also a classical violinist. She was valedictorian. She went to Stanford. And actually, she was Miss America. So she's... Oh, yes. Yes. And actually, I think today is the head of the Miss America organization. After having been, what, Miss Minnesota, is it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Shout out to Minnesota. (laughs) That's exactly right. And then, you know, after this incredible history of accomplishment and achievement, she then went on to, I think, take one of the most important... Uh, steps and one of her most important accomplishments, which was to speak out against Roger Ailes. Fox News Chairman Roger Ailes is responding to a lawsuit filed by lawyers for Gretchen Carlson. Former anchor Gretchen Carlson alleges she was fired after turning down sexual advances from Fox News Chairman and CEO Roger Ailes. Carlson's bold accusations against the media mogul came just two weeks after her last day at Fox News. But Ailes immediately fired back, saying her accusations were false. Gretchen can't talk about the details of her case. She settled the lawsuit with Fox News on September 6, 2016, two months after it was filed. But you can find the court documents online, which allege a pattern of behavior from Fox News founder and then chairman Roger Ailes of sexual advances, harassment and discrimination. He made comments about her figure, her clothing, told her she should sleep with him. And when she complained, accused her of being, and this is a quote, offended so goddamn easy about everything. And the reality was it soon became clear that Gretchen wasn't alone in being treated this way by Ailes. He resigned shortly thereafter, and Fox News issued Gretchen a letter of apology. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story. And I think, you know, the most important and powerful way to tell the story is, is frankly, to hear it from Gretchen in her conversation with Carly. So I think we'll, we'll go to the two of them and let them start their conversation around the beginning of Gretchen's career, where they talk about fighting the stereotypes of a pageant queen and TV host to prove herself to be this intelligent, inc- incisive reporter that we know her as today. There's something still a little bit off in our society where we can't totally um, have that woman, and you would know this so well from choosing to be in political life and putting yourself out there, but we still just cannot embrace the woman who is smart, talented, and also happens to be attractive. Yes. There must be something wrong with her. But but when you were young, did that, and you were, I mean, we're all older and wiser now. Yeah. <laughs> When did that first hit you personally? Well, see, luckily, I grew up with parents who encouraged me every single day that I could be anything that I wanted to be. And that was so important for me to hear every night before I went to sleep. The other thing is that I struggled with my weight my whole life. And so I really developed my self-esteem from the inside of my soul from the beginning. And I think that that had a lot to do with how my life has played out with doing different courageous acts and having tremendous self-esteem to achieve things because I was never relying on, on how I looked on the outside. And I was perfectly happy as a tomboy, chubby kid growing up in a small town in Minnesota who also happened to play a mean violin. You know, so I built my self-esteem from, from being smart at school from parents who encouraged me on a daily basis and from this immense talent that I had been given, um, that was who I was. I didn't really care about 
what my exterior was at that point in time. Like you, I'm very fortunate to have parents who encourage me and all of that. But I remember it hitting me at a certain point. I mean, never, ever did I have parents who say, well, well, you're a girl, you know, something should be different for you. Mm-hmm. Never. I, I was not a secure child. I was a very insecure child. So uh, we differ in that way for sure. But I remember being in my mid-20s and you know, got out of the secretarial pool and was now in the big corporation called AT&T. And I remember being stunned when a boss introduced me to my subordinates as our token bimbo. Mm-hmm. It was just stunning to me. It had never occurred to me up to that point right. that people would be presuming certain things about me mm-hmm. based on what they thought I looked like. Right. And so I was wondering if you had oh, a yeah, similar moment, well, you know, tons. where it was like, oh my gosh, the world, to your point, the world has a hard time accepting that a woman can be attractive and put together and self-possessed and intelligent and all these things. Right. I have so many examples of that. Um, I mean, when I went to the Stanford Dean to tell her that I was stopping out because I was going to go home to Minnesota in my senior year to try and become Miss America, she looked at me and said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, oh, my. And, and I can so imagine that, that conversation. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so that was, you know, that was something, you know, first and foremost. But in the real world, when I got my first job in television, I will never forget calling my mom on the phone after just a couple of weeks and saying, Mom you realize women are not paid the same as men. (laughs) And I said, Mom, you realize that, you know, women are not respected in the same way in the workplace that men are. It hit me like a ton of bricks because I had been so competitive my whole life, but I had never, ever felt like there was any kind of discrimination against me. My first assignment at that television station was covering the Anita Hill hearings. Mm. And I also made many phone calls to my mom during that time and said, why don't they believe her? Uh, of course, it was an all-man uh, Senate committee listening to her testimony. Um, and then I was promptly sexually harassed on the job soon after. So I think that um, those experiences were um, eye-opening for me. I had also been sexually harassed towards the end of my year as Miss America before I got into the real world. And that was um, actually assaulted. I haven't called it assault until just in the last couple of years, but I was assaulted by two very um, high-profile men in television and one in PR, all within the span of three weeks' time. Mm. And uh, so when something like that happens to you, I I never told anyone for more than 25 years because we as women are taught to push things away and just rise above it and work harder, right? And um, so after everything that happened to me over the last few years, I just decided to be truthful about everything that had happened in my life and I actually called it assault, which is what it was, a man throwing himself on top of you in the backseat of a yeah, car and that's sticking his tongue down his throat, your throat, um, a man putting, um, grabbing my neck in a car in the passenger seat and forcing my head into his crotch and I couldn't breathe. That's assault when you're desperate to try and get away. So, you know, I had those, all those experiences within a year's time. So my entree into the real world was pathetic. <laughs> Wow. 25 years is a long time to hold trauma. Any secret, anything. But to think about sort of hearing her talk about, you know, that she hadn't talked about those experiences from early in her career 
you know, for 25 years. And to some degree, you know, it took this escalation in um, experiences, right? The trauma that she, you know, received, mm -hmm. experienced and received the sexual assault at a time woman like she's at the height of her career yeah. she shouldn't be what what this is happening now yeah and to think about having someone have to then go back and reflect over actually it's just not about now it's about a career long 25 30 plus years of what sounds like ongoing yeah you know traumatic experiences in the workplace wow yeah i mean in that last description i just harrowing i think is the word for it and you know, there's a real, I think, survivor's tone to her voice, which mm -hmm. to your point, Jeffrey, I think comes not only out of 25 years of of holding this trauma, but also I think you hear it in her origin story that she developed this real kind of ability to cope that was born of a family situation and a real internal um, moral compass and strength that I, I really admire in her. I mean, yes. I'm fortunate to never have been in a situation as dire as the one it's, that she's describing. A and I, frankly, I'm thankful because I, for a variety of reasons, but I'm not sure I could cope as, as well as she has. I think, you know, her story, to your point, 25 years of ongoing, even at the height of her career when she should hold all the power and yet still being subjected to this type of thing is... I think harrowing, horrifying, all too common. Yes, yes. I'm sure, I mean, as we've learned, they, you know, all too common. Yeah. And, you know, um, you know, in this case, it, she happens to be Gretchen Carlson. She happens That's to right. be, you know, a respected, um, you know, news anchor, journalist, media personality. Um, but, you know, it's kind of like I think about the 25 years and say, well, what? Thank goodness, you know, she came forward, yeah, found the right. courage, you know, as a leader um, to be able to speak her truth and tell her story so that other folks could begin to recognize. And they know this. Right. But it's yeah. something about when you hear other people acknowledge their truth and you're able to go, oh, my goodness, you, I'm not alone. Right. Yeah. The meet me, too. Um, but it's just something about that comment of like, you know, her having held onto that for 25 years that just brought to me like the, the gravity of what it meant for her to share her story for other people who yeah. also who had, had an experience, who also had been holding on to trauma um, and have had that impact, like impact their career and their lives. Well, and I think, you know, you know this, Jeffrey, I think everybody knows this. It doesn't get easier over time. It's not like, oh, it happened 25 years ago and now I finally feel, you know, I'm released of it and I'm ready to talk about it. I actually think it's the opposite. I think it is holding on to that trauma for 25 years and every day getting a little more, you know, some combination of being scared and guilty. Like, why didn't I talk about this? Did I do something wrong? I think all of those feelings are super common and rather than dissipating over time, I think it's the opposite. I think they concentrate. And then add to that the fact that she was in this incredible, to your point, like the zenith of her career, I think for, for many women or many people would look at where she was and say, yes. wow, she's at the pinnacle. And then she took a step back and she said, no, I need to speak my truth. Mm -hmm. And that is leadership, right? To say, yes. this has gotten scarier every day from when it happened. It continues to be scary. And yet, I'm going to take this point in my career, this zenith of my career, and I'm going to put it all on the line yes. to speak my truth. Yes. Ah, God, I mean, Thanks. that is courage. She was willing to sacrifice. 
you know, recognizing the extreme, you know, resistance that she was going to be up against, given the individual, given the institution. That's right. Right. Well, and I think that's a, honestly, Jeffrey, that's a perfect segue into the next point, which is when you think about taking on a status quo like this, so maybe you start to feel the courage deep in your heart and in your soul, but but what do you do? How do you make that a that courage a practical reality where you can actually challenge a status quo as entrenched and powerful as Fox yeah. News was in 2016? And not drown. That's exactly right. And not drown. And not be squashed and... And pushed aside. I think that's exactly right. One of the things that I think I hear a lot of people trying to say about women who are stepping forward is there's this implication somehow that, well, um, they just got emotional or they got overwrought or they got sick and fed up. It's sort of this crime of passion excuse. (laughs) And what that said to me was, no, no, no. This was a very premeditated, deliberate decision Mm -hmm. to take a series of actions Mm -hmm. to not only protect yourself, but also, as you say, to protect others Mm -hmm. who might come after you or who might be experiencing the same things. This wasn't a crime of passion. This was a very carefully thought through decision. Well, it actually follows through with what we were just discussing, which is women just continue to work harder to make it go away, right? And one of the things that that I pointed out in the book that I ended up writing, Be Fierce, was that you have to have a plan. I mean, that is the biggest mistake that women can make if they're facing this in the workplace, is that we just work hard, work hard, work hard, and then suddenly one day we erupt and we go and tell somebody, but we don't have a plan. So if you know anything about me in my life, you know that um, I am always prepared. And I never make a decision until I have looked at absolutely every angle. So people who know me well were not surprised. What I soon found out from all these women who started reaching out to me was that this is a pervasive epidemic. Even I didn't realize that when I decided to jump off the cliff. And not only is it pervasive, but it crosses every socioeconomic line in every career, from police officers to members of our military to lawyers, of course, to bankers, to teachers. To It's everywhere. And that, even to me, was so incredibly surprising and sad because the commonality in all those women who reached out to me was this. Thank you for being a voice for the voiceless because they had never had their stories told. And Carly, what's so upsetting about this as we sit across from each other as two women who have been professionally successful is that 99.9% of these women who reached out to me in the thousands never worked in their chosen profession ever again after coming forward. And that is outrageous. And that is why everyone should be concerned about this issue, no matter what political party you come from. Yes, This is an apolitical issue. And we have crushed the American dream from all of these women. And they're shattered. Yeah. Because they never work again. That's right. And, And, of course, not only did you step off jump off the cliff without a net Mm -hmm. Um, but because you had a plan you won because you had a plan you won I mean that stat about women that she encountered who never worked in their chosen profession again talk about wasted and lost potential Mm -hmm. indeed no it triggered um, you know when I heard that it it triggered some memories and thoughts of reflections of conversations I've had with colleagues over the years Mm. 
Um, and in these stories, Gretchen's and others in the Me Too movement coming out, I've had colleagues, you know, who started to talk about, well, you know, you've always wondered, you know, why they made that career transition from, you know, law. Mm-hmm. They went to law school or they got an MBA and they were doing marketing. Um, I have a colleague I've done some great community work with. I'm in Washington, D.C., was a great advertising executive and then, you know, Went on and did great community engagement work, nonprofit sector, and great that, you know, she was contributing her talents and time. But then, you know, as uh, these stories started to come out in the last, you know, three years, she sh- she shared that she left um, the private sector, you know, corporate advertising world because she had been a victim wow. um, of harassment and assault and never went back to it. I had another colleague, Howard University. Um, who started off in the private sector and ended up going to academia and research, and primarily because it was early in her career and she had just started to have children, and it was a very harassing environment, and so she chose mm. to switch out of that space to mm-hmm. go work in a space that culturally didn't compensate her at the level she'd been compensated for giving her education and experience, but she didn't have to deal with that level of harassment. And what a sad trade-off to have to make. I mean, uh, I too think... I would I like to think I'd choose culture over compensation, but why should that have to be a trade off? Exactly. Why can't you find a place where you're compensated commensurate with your experience and your talents and you can find a welcoming culture or, or even forget welcoming for a second, a culture where you're not facing harassment yes. on a daily basis. Yes. I mean, that's yeah. it's sad that we've left people too many people in this place where they have to make that trade off and a culture where everyone can contribute right so absolutely you know, we, you know it's heartbreaking think of you know somebody doesn't have the opportunity to utilize their skills and their passion in the area but also we haven't had the opportunity to benefit from their expertise their skills in that particular sector and area so everyone loses um you know because of we haven't we weren't able to actually experience or realize the possibility mm. of what that person could have contribute to that organization or in that space and their fullness. And I would vantage, you know, to say that given the level of trauma that, you know, Gretchen articulates and you hear in other people's stories, then to some degree those folks may not be ever able to fully contribute mm-hmm. and be present and any professional yeah, sector how could you? and setting again in some ways. I'm sure there are some folks that still, you know, hold that and that impacts, you know, the way in which they navigate that just their professional lives, but their complete lives. Yeah, I think that's right. So so let me ask you, Jeffrey, as you reflect on um, the other kind of message that was in that clip around having a plan, does that resonate with you around some of the stories that you've heard of folks that have been successful and kind of letting go of that trauma and confronting the status quo and and making a change? I think so. And I, th- I think that in sort of this conversation, you know, we've had this about sort of, you know, the need for a plan and mm-hmm. why a plan and yeah. you know, what does it entail? But I think this highlights why a plan and some strategy is so important. And she talked about and said, you know, often the reference to sort of just put your head down, work hard and hope yeah. it goes away. And I yep. think that many people do that. Right. You have that. Yeah, that is their plan. Uh, that is the plan. Yeah. If I just if I can avoid the person, if I just really consume myself, yep. oh, I'm signing for all the meetings. I'm never going to be alone. I'm going to work hard. It has to stop. But it rarely ever stops. Um, And so by being able to actually set some specific strategy in place, then you're able to take some control, take some power back. You can't necessarily affect the behavior of that other part, those other parties. But by having a plan, you can begin um, to take, uh, you know, take your power back. That's right. right. Um, In that way. 
And I think it's okay, and this is important to highlight, it's okay if everybody's plan looks a little different, yes. right? Not everybody has to be Gretchen Carlson. I mean, we deeply admire her for her courage and coming forward and sharing her story. And to your point, Jeffrey, I think this is so important, articulating her trauma. But not everybody's going to be Gretchen. And so, you know, I had a friend recently who came to me and said, Casey, I want to share this story of harassment and assault with you. I don't want you to do anything about it. I just, I want you to listen and kind of here's my plan. Let me get it off my chest. Let me, you know... I want to work through it with you, but I don't actually want to take action. And, you know, I really struggled with that because I didn't want to be a bystander. But at the same time, I recognize that this is her trauma. It's her experience. And if this is how she chooses to work through it, you know, I can be a sounding board. I can even offer advice to some extent. But the reality is her, her plan may just look very different. Yeah, no, definitely. We, you know, we talk about, you know, courage and having to, you know, tap into that courage needed to bump up, you know, to push against the status quo. But then we also talk about, you know, the context and you mm -hmm. have to understand your context. You have to understand where you are. You have to understand where your stakeholders are. And so for everybody, what it looks like to claim their truth to harness their power and unlock their potential mm -hmm. in these circumstances will look different. And the timing of how that unfolds and develops will look different. There's some folks who want to hit the ground running That's and right. they want to shout and tell their story and they're ready. But there are other folks that have to take, you know, steps yep. um, along their time. And we have to be respectful of that. And I love what you said um, about stakeholders. And I think Carly and Gretchen talk about this in kind of an interesting, unique way where they, you know, I think when we think about stakeholders, it's kind of the, the people in your community writ large. And I know Carly and Gretchen would agree with that, but they pick out a certain segment of stakeholders here that I think is really interesting and important, and that's men. And so I'll let them explain a little bit about how they think you should yes. think about engaging with men, and frankly, for all the men listening, how you should think about engaging in what I know can be a really, really tricky, delicate conversation with the women who are going through something like this and with the Me Too movement writ large. One of the other things that you've said uh, many times, and I have said as well in, in uh, op-eds and appearances on this subject, is that we can't have any bystanders. Mm. So there are two things about everything that's gone on, including your case, that um, is deeply troubling to me, and um, I suspect to you, but let's talk about it. One is that it's so pervasive. And in fact, across a number of statistics, we're making backwards, we're not going forward. I mean, there are only 23 women CEOs in the entire Fortune 500 today. Mm -hmm. That's not progress, no. that's regression. Not to mention assault and harassment and all the rest of it. But the other thing that's shocking, depressing, that I think we have to come to grips with is in each and every one of these celebrated cases, including your own, people knew People knew about Dr. Nasser. People knew about Charlie Rose. People knew about Harvey Weinstein. People knew about Roger Ailes. People knew. Mm -hmm. Women knew. Men knew. People knew. Tons of bystanders right. who just let it happen and think it's okay. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk a little bit about, yes, women have to continue to come forward inspired by women like you. But I don't think it's actually going to get better. Mm -hmm. Until, as I said in an op-ed, the boys man up oh, completely. and quit looking over and saying, yeah, yeah, but mm -hmm. the it's, guys it's have got to man up here. No, it's a huge piece of the puzzle. Listen, fixing sexual harassment is a tangled web. It's not just one solution. 
other than, of course, if men would just stop harassing. That would be that would be the easy solution, right? Uh, but that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. No, because it's about power. It's about power, really. Sexual harassment about is power. mostly it's about, about power, sex. not about, it's about sex. power. So what I have figured out in my own research over the last 22 months is that it's this tangled web. So one part of the fix is, yes, women being more inspired to come forward and collectively look where we are now. I mean, who could have ever envisioned this tsunami? I know I didn't. So that's number one. Number two, the bystander effect is is huge. But it almost takes the same amount of courage for a bystander to come forward and speak up for a woman or to stop a harasser in their tracks, right? It almost takes the same amount of courage as I had to have. So we have to change the way in which we provide training in corporations so that those people feel more comfortable doing that. Now that was powerful. Mm. Um We've all been bystanders mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form, whether mm-hmm. it's just been the bystander on the road or the sidewalk, you know, car accident happens, something happens. We've all been the bystanders. But we've also all been the bystanders in an organization or community setting um, where we have been aware of things happening that were inappropriate or uncomfortable, yeah. yet we say nothing. We do nothing. You know, I can think of moments when I've felt that thing in my stomach yeah yeah you know it deep Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay this isn't right somebody needs to somebody and i'm looking hoping like somebody and you know come back the next day hoping that you hear that something oh did you hear and nothing happens and and you'll and it's so easy to justify that right mm -hmm. like you look around you're like well she doesn't look so uncomfortable maybe Maybe they're together. Maybe mm-hmm. that's that's intentional, right? I mean, those are assumptions I've made in the past, I'll be honest. And and you don't want to, you know, poke your nose in anyone else's business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to be the one to end up creating a problem or right. being the one that uh, becomes the focus. Because that's oh, really God, the yeah. thing, right? I don't want to be the focus. That's right. I, I don't want to be the focus. And so I think as Gretchen talks about, it almost takes that same level of courage as the person who's been the victim and who's been assaulted. Absolutely. Right? And it does really to some degree because, you know, as the person, whether you're the person that has been the recipient yep. or you're a person that has ob- observed it, you have to, you're thinking through those same things. How might this impact me? That's right. Right? What that might, re- what that might reaction might be. And ultimately, will it yield a positive outcome by me saying or doing something? And that can be very fearful, even if we're not the ones, right, who's been the focus of the particular act. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, it happens on a spectrum, right? So if you think about the kind of enablement, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, we read about the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania and the enablement that happened yes. there, right, where people turned a willful blind eye. There's photographic evidence of child sexual abuse and people are burning the photographs. I mean, that is at the end of a spectrum, Mm -hmm. right? Most men, and I believe this really deeply, most men and women that are bystanders, they are not of that ilk, right? They sit on the spectrum, but they're not bad people. They're saying like, to your point, I don't want to make myself the focus. I don't want to make this about me. I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable, right? It actually comes, I think, from a place of good intention. And so none of this is to castigate anyone. Folks aren't bad people if they don't stand up. But it is important to re-examine, to your point, Jeffrey, what are those biases that we come into a situation with? 
why do we come in with those biases Mm -hmm. and how can we overcome them to put the other person at the center of our concern? Yes. And, and recognizing that just because you are not actively engaged Hmm. in the act, the trauma, the victimization that happens, that just by you not doing anything also doesn't mean that you're, you know, yeah, that's you're right. not somehow involved. Oh, that's right. right. Yeah, yeah. By you actively being, by you being aware of it, but not actively engaging, you're passively um, feeding a culture that's and right. supporting the the behavior. And so, you know, we have to begin to see outside of, you know, ourselves. ourselves. Absolutely. <laughs> and like you say, prioritize the community, the organization, mm-hmm. the collective, and be willing to take the risk to challenge, um, you know, those behaviors and those attitudes. Because if we don't, we may not be the victim of that specific behavior today, but That's we right. will in some way, directly or indirectly, find ourselves being victimized and the mm. recipient um, um, of the outcomes of that of that behavior. Yeah, I love that because I think it, it is this real balance between, you know, you're not necessarily a bad person, but you still have to take responsibility. And that means some real introspection. And then turning that introspection into looking out into the community and the people around you and and caring for them. And I think, you know, what we'll hear in this last clip is Carly and Gretchen digesting kind of how this fits into our leadership framework writ large. And and I think a big piece of that is this idea of balance of taking personal responsibility and finding courage. You know, if you are a bystander, there's often a lot that you can do to make the situation in the community a better, safer place. And so I'll let Carly and Gretchen talk a little bit about kind of how this overall idea of courage and Gretchen's, you know, incredibly brave actions fit into the overall leadership framework. We can't just assume that this movement is just going to be a flash in the pan because I've been asked a lot recently is, oh, do you think the Me Too movement or your Be Fierce movement or whatever you want to call it is coming to a close now? And I'm like, no, it's actually just getting started. I think that's right. right. And for people to assume that is sort of a cop out because they don't want to deal with it. You know, change is hard. Very hard. Very hard. And, And people don't like to change, right? But we have to keep talking about this in order to make sure that change does happen. Well, and Gretchen, change is always led. And a leader is not about their title or their position. A leader has the courage to challenge the status quo. You certainly have had that. Mm. The character to keep going when the going gets tough, as it always does. The humility and the empathy to collaborate effectively with others, especially maybe people that are different than yourself. And the imagination to see better possibilities. And you are demonstrating those characteristics over and over and over, courage and character and collaboration and the imagination to say, you know what, this movement isn't just starting and now coming to a quick demise. This movement is just starting and will go on for a long time. Mm -hmm. I know that it had to be an incredibly difficult thing Mm -hmm. to jump off that cliff without a net. But I and millions of men and women owe you a debt of gratitude for your leadership because that's what you're displaying, leadership on an issue. And that doesn't mean the rest of us can sit back, just the opposite. But thank you for leading on this issue, even though it was a hard place to get to. Thank you. You know, my life has worked in mysterious ways, and 
the one thing that has remained a constant is that when there's a challenge in front of me, I usually go for it. And I could have easily just come forward and then gone away and never been heard from again. But the challenge was sitting out in front of me. That's not who you are. It's not who I am. <laughs> and so I will work tooth and nail to, it's not who to, you are. to make sure that that, uh, you know, that that happens. So I have to wake up every morning thinking about the glass half full. <laughs> I wear this bracelet on my arm that says be fierce because I have to remind myself every day, even when I'm not feeling like it, to be honest with you, that I actually want to do it on that particular day, that there's this mission in front of me. And I think the the thing that you learned when you jumped off the cliff is what I think we all learn as we undertake a big challenge, and certainly you're doing that, is actually you're not alone. Mm -hmm. There are people out there with whom you are collaborating. Right. It, it's not just you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not I alone can fix it, actually. Right. <laughs> it's so Despite true. our president's commentary to the opposite, none of us alone can fix it, actually. All of us together can, mm -hmm. but it requires leadership. Mm -hmm. No, it's so true. And, uh, and so, actually, when I do a lot of public speaking now, and I say I thought I was so alone, but I was not exactly what you just said. And it was started with all these women who buoyed my spirits by letting me know that they, too, had experienced something similar, even though it was sad. And, of course, the goal is that people don't simply look at you with admiration, although they do, but that they say, me, too. I can stand up and say something, too. Right. And I can do something also. Mm -hmm. That's, in the end, the goal. And that's the goal of any leader, to have others stand up and move forward and do mm -hmm. and help make the problem better. 100%. Thank you so much for your time, Gretchen. Thank you. Thanks. Great to great, be with you again. It's great to see you, too. Now, you don't have to be Gretchen Carlson to lead or to do Right. I think that's the, you know, yeah, that's right. she is Gretchen Carlson, um, you know, and she has, you know, achieved great success in her life and uh, notable. Um, but the reality is that it doesn't matter if you're Gretchen Carlson or if you're, you know, Casey Enders, <laughs> um, you know, being able to recognize your truth, recognize that the status quo isn't OK, what you're experiencing isn't okay. And then being able to communicate that out into the world um, opens up, I think, a channel of opportunity and potential and possibility that for folks, when you go to make that, you know, leap off the bridge, mm. that there you're not alone because you've done you've done the internal work of yourself of recognizing what's what's been happening in the context, but then you've also opened opened yourself up to possibility of receiving support. Um, which creates the opportunity for others to speak their truth and unlock their own potential and help change the course of things for the better. Yeah, I think I think that is to me the kind of encapsulation of the hashtag Me Too movement, right? It's this idea that you are not alone, and so when you take that first step, you know, recognizing that there are people who want to support you, who are there to support you, who you can talk to about what you're going through. I think is so incredibly powerful. That's what women like Gretchen did by stepping forward was show you're not alone. And there is a community out here who is prepared to and wants to, you know, come alongside you to help. And I think that's where the bystander piece fits in yes. too, right? So if you want to help, 
and and you're saying I want to be part that the me too movement resonates with me and and thank God I've never been assaulted but gosh it, it really resonates with me and I want to help you know chances are to Carly and Gretchen's point you've seen it somewhere mm-hmm. so you know reflect on your time whether it's in your workplace or your place of worship or in your geographic community the chances unfortunately you've probably seen something like this and there are people out there who want your help who want you to encourage them to come forward and to your point Jeffrey earlier that takes its own type of courage no it does and you know as we say you know Carl often says talk about you know solving the problem in front of you that Mm. you see take a step and figure out you know how can you influence how can you have an impact in your setting whether it's your community you know your your organization where you work it could be your house of worship it could be anywhere but how can you influence is that saying something in that moment of discomfort when you've observed Mm. something is that because you're in a position to sort of change the way in which things are done process you know institutional structures scheduling you know all this kind of finding a way how can you speak life to your values and show up not only um, you know, for others, you know, and particularly women speaking as a man in this case, <laughs> but also in doing that show up for ourselves. Absolutely. Right? Um, you know, and solve the problem in front of you. I, I love that, Jeffrey. And I think, honestly, that's a perfect way to wrap with a kind of lesson of and, and thoughts about how people can actually get engaged in this movement, you know, wherever they are. And that is, I think, the message of our vision of leadership. To your point, it, it, it's about taking the problems that are right in front of you. And the reality is all of us face problems like this in front of us every single day. Yes, indeed, we do. So that's all for now. But you can always check out more episodes online at carlyfiorina.com or on iTunes. Please subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And while you're there, please give us a five-star rating, assuming you enjoy the podcast as much as we do. And give us a review so more people can enjoy and join our conversations. You can find more information and keep up to date on new episodes and offers by joining our email list at carlyfiorina.com slash by example. And you can also send us feedback right there or on Facebook and Twitter at Carly Fiorina. Also, go to carlyfiorina.com to pre-order Carly's new book on leadership. It's fantastic. I've had an opportunity to read it already. It's called Find Your Way, Unleash Your Power, and Highest Potential. So on behalf of Carly Fiorina... My wonderful producer, Eric Pauls, and fantastic co-host, Jeffrey Richardson. I'm Casey Enders, and this is By Example.